Welcome to Game Changing Leadership. In this podcast, we will highlight interesting profiles and hear their thoughts and experiences of game changers. What do they do differently and what can we learn from them? My name is Mylian Greva and with me I have my co-host Siri Bushum. Moment of crisis comes always with a great deal of opportunities. What we need to be prepared for is not only prevention mechanisms to reduce the impact of crisis and recovery quickly, but rather embrace and adopt the opportunities that this very crisis represents. In this episode, we ask how crisis can spur innovation and change the game in how we live, work and operate. And we are very curious to hear if our guests see a financial game-changing innovation as a result of the COVID-19. Today, we are joined by two persons who daily advocate for embracing this opportunity space, but from various standpoints. Karianne Melby, you represent a mature incubator, the Norwegian Startup Lab. And you, Christina Tius, find yourself in the midst of this perfect storm as a company connecting warm hands with those who need them in Nubi. Warm welcome to both of you. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Mylene. It's great to be here. Awesome. So great to have you. And I'm you here as well. Don't, don't oh, forget I'm me. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay? I'm not going to forget <laughs> you, Siri. <laughs> right. Welcome to you as well. Thank you. <laughs> so, before we dig deeper into the aspect of how and what such a crisis can represent of opportunities, let's first start off with an understanding of better what you are representing here today so that we get the rationale behind your reflections. Karina, let's start with you. You're a global business first person and you're a keen sailor at heart. You have worked in Asia for years and you are now spending your time supporting startup companies at scale. Could you give us a brief summary of what exactly Startup Lab is? Yeah, thank you, Mylene. Yeah, I'm... Uh... My name is Karianne. Um, I've been with Startup Lab for three years. Uh, and we are, like you said, an incubator for uh, the most ambitious tech companies in Norway, or at least most most of the most ambitious. There are probably more ambitious tech companies in Norway than up with us, but I think there are. Most of them are with us. Um, what we're doing is that we're in the space between the ID foundation and the first customer. So there is a journey for those startups. They find their first ID sitting in their garages and then they are working on iterating on their IDs. And then at some point they will have to show it to a customer to, to get somebody to pay for it. And at that very moment, the best, that's the best timing to come to us because then we will work with those founders to found, find, find somebody to verify that there is somebody who will pay for it. And as soon as somebody has paid for your first product, then you can go to the investors and then you can start to dream about scaling your company. So every day when I go to work, I'm thinking about how can I help those ambitious tech founders to get to their first customer to make them scale faster. And usually they will be with us. Um, that will take somewhere between 12 and 18 months for them to, you know, to figure out where and who should be their first customer. So that's what I do every day. And then at the same time, the first customer, of course, will have to be somebody who are in business. So that's why we also have a close cooperation with most of the corporate partners in Norway, most of the, the biggest companies, who has made themselves available to be the first customer. Because making yourself available <laughs> to be the first 
customer of an early phase technology will push yourself to get first hands on that technology and also understand the impact of that technology. It could be um, picture recognition, voice recognition, um, different kind of uh, prediction analysis and so forth and so on. So if you make yourself your own company available to early tech uh, adaption, you will learn a lot. Hopefully you will also be doing something good for the next generation of Norwegian uh, public se- or uh, private sector. So it's only tech companies that, or only tech uh, products. Yes. So that's uh, that's we are also based at uh, uh, Oslo University campus. So we are the neighbor of uh, Institute for Mathematics and Informatics and uh, uh, and Sintef. So all the the academics also behind uh, the tech is available for us. So that's also part of why we're focusing so much on tech, because that's that's the environment, that's the community, that's uh, also uh, what we've learned over the last 10 years being in business. So uh, so some of the companies uh, may be well known to uh, to those listening is Kahoot, Remarkable, Hudley, No Isolation, Talking but about they, warm hands. They left your. Uh, yeah, your they crib. have successfully left, yeah. uh, and they are now uh, leading stars for the next generation. So that's uh, wonderful. I'm looking forward to hearing more about uh, more about this um, in in this uh, in this episode. Uh, we have another guest with us, uh, Christina. Uh, you are a former McKinsey super talent. They lost you. Uh, good for Nibu. Uh, but you're also an active and keen investor in several startups. Um, and now you are spending uh, most of your time designing and developing Nubi. So you need to explain to us what it is about Nubi. Well, um, I have to start out with saying uh, that uh, or give a shout out to Startup Lab because uh, actually we started out in the very, very early days at Startup Lab as well with fantastic people and fantastic support. So so Startup Lab is really a great, uh, great uh, place to start for uh, for uh, any company. Uh, we moved out of Startup Lab, but uh, Nibi is really um, is a resource collaboration platform for healthcare. Uh, and now it currently it's used by more than 50 local governments across Scandinavia. And uh, the back, background for Nibi is uh, what we all know about the, the aging population putting an increased pressure on healthcare workers. Uh, so we need to think differently on how we organize care. And with Nibi, now uh, healthcare and police can both free up their time and also get support from uh, uh, qualified uh, resources in their own community by directly connecting the healthcare workers with these uh, resources. Uh, and these resources can be, you know, typically volunteers, but also unemployed, you know, healthy pensioners, students, dropouts from school, any person that really has some extra time available. And the, uh, the typical tasks that we see healthcare workers spend time on that they really shouldn't do uh, is, for example, follow a person to a doctor's appointment or, you know, help with practical tasks or sitting down sharing a meal with a lonely person. That makes perfect sense. But with increased pressure on the healthcare workers, they don't really have the time anymore. So what really is a burden for, for the healthcare workers right now could be an opportunity for other people that might have the, uh, more or quite a lot of extra time. You know, we, we talk about, it's kind of a paradox. We talk about at the same time, too few hands in healthcare. And then we see us at the same time, people are getting more and more lonely. Mm. So this paradox, we try to solve in some way by, um, by using technology 
connecting, really inspired by the sharing economy platforms, which have really revolutionized how we can uh, exploit these underutilized resources in, in different verticals. But we, this... This sounds like a, this sounds like an amazing um, setup. But you have to explain to us what exactly. How do you do this? How do you? Because you have this. Um, you have a platform in the middle, and then you have warm hands on one side, and the needs uh, on the other side. Yeah. So how do you? So this sounds like something that the sort of state of Norway should have, or state of whatever country should have fixed a long time ago. But you have done that. Yeah. So what have you actually done? How well, have you done um, that? we always start out, you know, we work with local governments so, uh, and public sector. So it's a slow moving, uh, slow moving area, but we also see the increased or the increased pressure. So the time is really right to talk to healthcare divisions about this. We typically ask, um, ask two questions. Uh, what tasks do your care workers spend time on today that others could be doing? And what needs do your care workers see among patients that could, you know, uh, that they don't have time to do, but could have preventive effect, could decrease uh, loneliness, or could improve the quality of life of these persons? And we always get, you know, a lo long list of things once they know that, well, can we actually do something about this? Are there resources available? So what we do is we, we have a really uh, a simple app, based Basically, that the care workers can use when when they're out uh, uh, visiting their patients. So, say that I'm at. I want to get. I, re I really want to understand this. So, say that I am. Uh, my land, 43 years old. I have uh, some sort of disease that makes me incapable of, or actually, I can work, mm -hmm. but uh, only I don't know 10, 20 percent of my time. So, not many, not many employers would like to hire me, right? So, I have the availability, yet nobody wants to hire me. Yeah. And then you tell me that if I download this app, yeah. then I can actually. Work. Well, the thing is, is that, that we, how it works? yeah, well, uh, kind of, because what is really key here is to uh, have, um, you know, these are vulnerable people that have these needs. So it's uh, really important for the local governments and for everybody that we have qualified the resources that will be able to help. Right. So not anybody can do so this. So not anybody. Oh, exactly. Okay. We need. We we start with the need side with the healthcare, and then we talk to different resource groups within the community. So typically we work with volunteer organizations or, or with the unemployment office that can be kind of the qualifying part of the resources so that uh, once the healthcare worker puts out a task in this app, uh, they know that only the qualified resources will see this task and, be, and will be able to connect with the, this person uh, that has the need and can resolve it. So it's really, that's the, really the key, because if not, it would have been like putting an ad out on fin.n or any, uh, any marketplace saying right. this person needs help. Right. But this qualification is really key. And, uh, you know, volunteer centers have done this for a while, they, uh, for a long time, they have qualified their their volunteers having interviews and, you know, ask for a police certificate or something uh, stating that they are kind of, um, that they have the qualifications. But how's the business model in, in all of this? The business model is uh, uh, we, we are a software as a service company selling licenses to local governments so that they uh, get the tool available for their community connecting the needs that healthcare has with any to, uh, any resource group that wants to collaborate. But this matchmaking sounds like it could be used 
in many other industries or verticals than just healthcare. Are you in, I mean, teachers, if you have Becky Lagerskola is missing uh, five teachers and then I am a student, but I'm also a, a part-time teacher. I get, I can use this app and then I can volunteer or I can. Yeah. Does it work? That, that's absolutely true. You know, we have, uh, you know, uh, a mantra for us has been really to aim really high, think big. So we're going to, you know, we're going to. Uh, revolutionize the world with this app but we, we focus on healthcare because what we really see is that's the most important needs are there we start there but we have designed a tool that is universal so it could be used as you say in many different vertic verticals yeah, but it sounds like the the matchmaking uh sort of the, the platform itself is um it, yeah can be used for any vertical. yeah and what's interesting now during covid is that even though we we've we focus really on healthcare connecting with other resources. Uh, but we saw in during COVID that uh, some municipalities were just really afraid of how to get the, um, uh, what do you call it, the, the farming season or kind of the harvesting secured. Right. So when they saw lots of people unemployed out of work in, in the municipality and they saw the farmers really have desperate needs because they couldn't really import the, the workers that they usually did mm. before, they actually used our app to connect to these two. So unemployed with with farmers were connected during COVID to solve kind of the strawberry season, I guess. That I think that's interesting. So um, Karelna, in terms of that, because that's a crisis that, that takes that technology and use it to something that it wasn't meant for in the beginning. Do you see a lot of that now in Startup Lab? Like, so, so even though you're at this stage where they're trying to find their new uh, first customer, have they found their first customer somewhere else than where they were actually looking at in the beginning because of the crisis that we've been in? Mm, well, some might, but I think in general, we are the connector who are encouraging our entrepreneurs to uh, to broaden their customer uh, or their industry that they, they might be relevant for. So I remember we had a, a team from um, the data scientist team from Equinor. They decided that it's time for us to do something else. So they quit their job and they came from oil and gas industry, but now they are actually in the same as Nibi. They are connecting uh, healthcare workers uh, and predicting how to do uh, home, home care uh, solutions. Yeah. Globus AI. So, so, and that's where a community like Startup Lab have encouraged them and introduced them to new customers that they maybe didn't think of because they came from a very different industry. So, so that's something we do in general. But I think uh, to your question, if something happened during this last 12 months, mm. uh, we have a couple of good examples like order. Maybe some of the people listening now have been uh, to a restaurant where they have been um, faced with a QR code. Uh, showing them the menu. Mm -hmm. uh, that company was actually growing quite well before the COVID-19 crisis, but having COVID-19 where all restaurants needed a way to hand out menus without touching them and without um, bringing their personal close to, uh, to their guests. So that made that company take off. Yeah, uh, but, but I'm very curious about like where you find a new way of doing things because... What we've uh, been discussing a little bit is sort of is do we get innovation from 
a crisis or do we get it from just the fact that we have a good idea and we we, we run out of it with it? I, I think we're, from what we've seen now, I think we've seen more adoption than than new innovation or um, new ways of uh, applying your technology. So a company like Confrere um, doing video conferences to uh, doctors, they were also struggling to to get buy-in from the doctors that, yeah, it's a good idea to do video consultation rather than having sick patients into your office, <laughs> bringing their sickness to all the other people waiting in the same waiting room, for instance. I mean, who would like to bring their five-year-old kid to the doctor's office now when I know I can have a video consultation? It's much better. But the adaption curve didn't come before we were forced to bring on the adaption. So I, that's, I think that's more of how we are everybody like mentally screwed together that we need to um, to see how we can embrace technology shifts before the, before we are forced to. We should see the opportunities. And I think the, the doctor's video example is, is a good one because I really don't want to go to the, uh, the, the doctors with a sick child anymore. I would like them to see them on the video rather than in the office most of the time. I mean, but I think that's what we also saw um, uh, working with public sector. It's, it's uh, uh, you know, most of the time it's pretty slow moving, but we also saw some, you know, really early adopters in, in the different municipalities that really were working for a technology shift, uh, trying to to purchase uh, more digital uh, solutions even before the crisis. And they've been struggling for a while. And once the crisis hit, you know, they they bought our solution in just uh, a few days, while the normal sales cycle has been, you know, six to nine months. And uh, they were kind of waiting for uh, an excuse, basically, to, to be able to move forward faster. Mm. So uh, I think it's interesting to see how that even though they kind of tried uh, internally to 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 do the shift before they needed some an extra push external push to to do this this is exactly um what i was um, i was hoping to hear because it's uh, is this uh, when we talk about how crisis uh, changes um there is a difference between just adoption, simple adoption of what's out there um, but also the um how we quickly go and find new solutions or uh, buy in to something that I thought was a bit scary or not really a match. Um, and you say, you're very concrete about this, you say that they actually took your sales cycle down from nine months to just a few weeks? or Yeah, just a few days. I mean, in the beginning of March, really at the, what was it, March 12th or 13th or something, that's really when everything changed for, for everybody, I guess, but also quite uh, for us. And we were working day and night, basically, to, to, to respond to requests from, uh, from uh, local governments. Uh, but I think also what was interesting was that the market kind of divide, was divided in two because you had those that were really... Uh, you know, ready even before the crisis to buy and to 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 use more digital platforms and and uh, digitize their work, uh, and they bought right away. And then we also had municipalities where there were maybe some people very you know uh, uh, wanting to move move ahead, and others that really just uh, were blockers and saying you know this now we are in a crisis we can't really do anything now we need to stop everything stop all projects and focus on just solving you know the day-to-day -day crisis people are out of work the healthcare uh, workers are under pressure we need to just stop everything 
So it's really two ways of responding to the crisis that we saw. So we got a lot of uh, things moving in the, in the first month. And then we also saw uh, others that said, well, this is really, we know that we're going to uh, move over to using EB and digital platforms. It's for the future of the welfare model, but we will need to wait until after the crisis. So it's interesting to see both kind of mentality of certain people, but also how they were able to then influence the decision making in the municipalities. Would you say that that has something to do with where in Norway or where in the Nordics they live or what kind of people they are? Like, would the ones that move faster be younger or would it be the opposite? Do you see any uh, anything that gives us a, a clue of what is that makes makes this difference well i think it's interesting it's it's not necessarily the young versus the old or you know uh, the the cities versus the regions it's uh, it's more about uh, women versus men it well could be i there's always you know a group of people making this decision but we what we also always see is that we need some really some what do you call it, internal champions that really uh, understand Nibi and understand, you know, the logic and the possibilities that this platform can use, can 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 have. And and also understanding, maybe, you know, getting the first municipality and, and the first case of how it, this is used in the COVID crisis out. Mm-hmm. After that, it was easier to convince more. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are not really any, any patterns here. I think it's related also to where we are, have success from before. So up in the, in the Trøndelag area, we have several municipalities that are, you know, talking to each other and they, they move ahead. But uh, not any clear uh, pattern on who who moves ahead and who stops everything. Do we what see the same in the in in startup lab with your companies? Do you have do you have customers who do we see the same split that you have some customers uh, waiting off and then some customers being very eager to to yeah. buy in quicker. You will find, of course, both. But I think for the last 12 months or 10 months, I think we're still uh, two months from March. <laughs> but uh, we see that, uh, like you say, the uh, the buyer or the customer at this point, they have also freed up time or they ha- they are also in a different situation. So they, they have time to think different about their own operations. Mm-hmm. Or even they are in a in a vulnerable position where they see that they need to make changes or they need to work in another way. Or they just see that there is an opportunity. We have lots of people now laid off or uh, sitting waiting to come back to their normal work. Uh, maybe we can... Um, can use them some in some way and that's how they are starting to think and then maybe accidentally they meet you <laughs> and maybe and then wow this is great we can move forward with this this is easy and it's already there and i think what you also said that they are um making warm introductions to other municipalities hey look what we did maybe you would like to try this that's when it gets started and i think that's also uh, really encouraging to hear that that's happening And from our end, I think it's been more time for our partners to set aside time with their specialists. And, you know, it's difficult for a small company to get time with deep industry experts in uh, in Telenor or DNB or Equinor. Or, but now there, it's been easier to have those video uh, meetings. So And then 
our counterpart in any of our partners network, they will now be able to find that industry expert and say, hey, you have 30 minutes, don't you, to, to join me on this? Because I think this could be really interesting to make some changes on on some of the project that's been laid down in, you know, at the end of our backlog. And now we have time to look at it again. So, um, yeah, so I think there have been more opportunities to to look into uh, to those things that's been on the backlog or that's been shuffled off because we were too busy to have a look at them. And now things are happening in a different pace. But has there become any uh, new partnerships do you see like there are two companies um, that have found each other um, due to this? Um, yeah, we, so that's uh, that's always our ambition to see <laughs> to see those big and the small. Normally, it takes time, so nine months is a little too short because it, the small companies are so small <laughs> and the big ones are so big. So they they need more time before they kind of decide that this is a firm partnership but we have made many introductions and we also see that um, that there is a different interest for these technology changes it could be I think about in 2020 more than 50% of all searches were by voice hey Siri (laughs) or hey Alexa or or hey Google (laughs) hey Google Uh, so uh, and most of the partners that we have, they don't have technology experts within voice recognition. So what does it mean for Telenor uh, to showcase or to be relevant in, those, in, in that way of search? Because they have optimized for written search, but they have not optimized for voice recognition search. And these are interesting uh, uh, items or theories to follow and to make more matches and to see what could happen and hopefully we will see more more of those coming uh, as a result of this period. Just before we're going into to leadership a little bit, I just want to touch upon this multidisciplinary collaboration. And um, so we we have um, we have these examples of where you have businesses who weren't the most likely collaboration partners before the crisis who now seem to turn to each other. Um, do you have any examples of this, how you can how you can bridge or leverage the combination of disciplines in order to provide innovation or radical innovation or, or give new services to the market that we need now that this crisis has spurred? Well, I think one of the latest, maybe bigger collaborations that we saw was uh, Telenor coming together with Poston to do uh, uh, to track and trace all uh, all the cages for bringing uh, mail from one place to the other, and then the, the cages were lost all the time. <laughs> Poston didn't know where they were, <laughs> and then of course. It, Easy maybe, but it was a it was a by coincidence that they met and discussed how we could use technology and uh, Internet of Things to to track and trace where they are at any given time. And now they have full visibility into all their assets, which is great. Mm. Uh, so just uh, from the top of my head, a big big thing that happened. Um, have you seen this before? If you go back in time and you know working in Asia, working globally, yes. As you have done for for many many years in your career, have you seen these uh, partnerships come together at the time, thinking that this was an unlikely match? But um, um, we were actually working with UNICEF, and uh, I think it was Stanford. I'm not sure in Telenor. We were working on uh, on um, predicting 
pandemic outbreaches by looking at uh, traffic on on the mobile equipment. So uh, in Pakistan, it was a very specific project, which I think, <laughs> which was a big, uh, it was a research example, but still it was uh, partly driven by people on the ground from UNICEF and, and Telenor in Pakistan, which was fantastic. We also saw um, a lot of things happening between mobile operators and financial services in Asia. And it's still uh, lots of opportunities left for that to happen. But I think talking about Alibaba and their ant financials and uh, Telenor's Pakistan uh, company, financial services, it was, of course, a big, it was a big uh, success in terms of bank remittance services. So there are things happening as a as a result of people having an asset, maybe a distribution asset, which I think it's uh, most often something that you know somebody else would like to tap into and then buy from that. That bigger things can happen. Quite strange to think that if we go back, say thirty years, that the telephone would become mm. our everything mm. that we do our entire lives on that device. But Christina, who would you, if you could find one partner, like that big, big dream partner, who would that be? That's a good question. Um, well, you know, during this crisis, we 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 obviously saw that um, the tender system in Norway is very good. It's it's supposed to give everybody a equal opportunity to to uh, pr present your your services and for the public sector to acquire or to purchase at the right terms, but in a situation of a crisis, it would also make sense to have some uh, options to really uh, get the best tools out to uh, all municipalities at the same time and say, hey, this is the toolbox you should use. Uh, and uh, and uh, therefore, you know, stop all worries about uh, procuring or purchasing things outside of, uh, of the legal uh, Aspect. So I think uh, many, many local governments, um, they, you know, they started up with uh, video conferencing, they used Nibi, they used all sorts of different tools, but many were also hindered a bit because they were afraid of, you know, landing on the first page of a newspaper, acquiring something out, uh, not respecting tender rules. So, you know, an, an ideal partner would be for us, somebody with this distribution network or with a frame agreement or with, uh, you know, uh, access to... Uh, uh, the national scale uh, of uh, healthcare that would be uh, that would make us uh, move faster with all the local governments. In but it Norway sounds to me like a, it's a it's a it's a given. Why not everyone on your customer list? I don't get that. What are what are hindering these? I, I understand you said that the customers in this in this crisis that's ten months ago. Yeah. So I would assume that within you know. Within those 10 months, they are waking up and saying, okay, now we're done with the crisis management. Let's think ahead yeah. and look at those who are ahead of us. What are they doing? How are they solving it? Somebody must wake up here and see and, and smell what's smart to do. I think that's a very good summary. And I hope that all the municipalities are listening in now. But it's, you know, it, what, what we see is that, uh, you know, time is could be you know uh, working against us or for us and i think uh, we know that this the solution we have and uh, is a solution for the future it's built as a tool for the future where collaboration will be more of a focus and not only in healthcare but in many verticals many industries so we have a tool for that and uh, we see that the uh, the municipalities that 
you know, really prioritizes this. We want this. We want to spend time implementing it. We want to scale it within our municipality. They they prioritize this and set aside three years' time to implement welfare technology well. And then it's it's really a good thing. So we believe that time is working for us and uh, and municipalities in Norway, in Scandinavia, in Europe will open up more uh, towards these solution, solutions. So we'll see. Well, we're hopeful. Okay, and we're going to land this episode with a few reflections on on leadership. We have touched upon it a little bit, but game-changing leadership um, in your careers, what has been the most significant that one can actually say is a game-changing uh, type of leadership? One thing that I learned from Rune Bjerke and his team, uh, he invited 23 of the latest or the latest recruited people with the tech background. We had been in the company for nine months and he said, I want to be in the room alone with you guys and I want you to tell me what you think about this company. And then he extracted his findings and he put it on the table from his management team and he said, this is what our new recruits tell me. <laughs> Nobody can tell me they didn't tell me. There has been no assistant writing this off or this is what I heard. And, and there were, you know, quite some good criticism and, uh, and things that we had seen that he, nobody would tell him if he hadn't asked us so brutally. So that was one. I think the other one, game-changing leadership, you said who would have thought that we would have a, a mobile computer in our pocket 20 years ago? Nobody. Uh, but Telnor management did. And they dared to go to Bangladesh or to Pakistan or to buy licenses and build up a company. And it was um, my time in Telnor from 2000 to 2016 was actually at, in that very core of that transformation. It was fantastic to see how a strong management team who dared to take the risk and also dared to do the work. They were everybody were clear and ready to go and move, you know, move to Asia or to do some really hardship work to make things happen. Building up greenfield operations in Asia was hard. Uh, I, and that has been, for me, uh, fantastic moments on, on daring to take the risk of doing something that nobody has done before. We can do that. And we should just jump into it and, uh, and make ourselves uncomfortable, but still have a, a strong team and be together about it. And I think that's so the brutal, honest and, uh, and some uh, major capacities, <laughs> lots of energy and, uh, and then also seeking opportunity and always looking for where are things growing in our market that we don't see. Like I said, the messaging uh, product category growing and exponentially but nobody saw it in the telecom sector yeah it's making it's making those bets making those bets and actually doing it mm. Christina well I think um, I think what is a game-changing leader or what is game-changing leadership is really about uh, it's really about people and it's about ambition setting I think and um, uh, I used to work in McKinsey for many years, so I've been kind of uh, working with really, really talented people and been spoiled with that. And uh, I think the intersection of if you work in the intersection of what what you're good at, what you can make money on, what is good for the world and, and something you have really passion for, 
then then the potential at least is there for game changing leadership and game changing ideas and and uh, and uh, yeah be, being a game changer so if if you are you know moving on from mckinsey i just felt um i i didn't want to go into the large corporations because i felt it was too far away from impact directly from what i what i felt was right one day i could implement the day after that that was too far away from that so i moved over into the startup world and um and uh, in the startup world you know you you won't make it if you don't have uh you know the something that you're really passionate for uh so i ended up you know working working with companies or and now with nibi because i just i just couldn't avoid doing it i had to do it i had to do it and it was a match something that is good for the world i can make money on it as well uh, and it's something that i i'm good at and i have passion for so really in that intersection is, is where the game changing leadership is but you can't do do you know game changing things alone you need the team so you need to be uh, you need to communicate your vision or and uh, your high ambitions and be able to be kind of a not a ceo executive officer but more an evangelist so really having that passion and be able to communicate that to others and having the team with you that's really key so uh, my whole career has been uh, working with people i mean that's what we learned in mckinsey to really have high ambitions and work with people you know in the best biggest companies in the world and uh, and that's what i've been taking with me as well in the startup world to really bring with us the best team uh, in order to to really make a, have an impact and make a difference mm. um but uh, you know it's, it can also be you know with the right team dream big start small act now execution is much more than the idea itself so uh so it's it's a mix of uh people high ambitions and be able to execute it's really see now you have um you have um we always uh, end this episode with uh, what have you learned so what have you you always come with some uh, reflections on these um, on these talks what uh, what have you well, been yeah, thinking I, about I'm, I'm trying to listen and think about that at the same time but right now i think you don't it's it's all about us as people and how we adapt to new things um but obviously you you need you need great leadership in any case whether you have a crisis or you don't you just have a good idea you need uh, a great leader and and being a great leader has a lot of elements to it but i think you you mentioned some of the things that for me is is very uh, very important the the listening part not just listening but to listen and think what does this mean for me my business my industry and what is it that i need to do to make something out of this and then you need to dare to do it and i think there is we are so comfortable where we are because everything is is so we earn money we live in i must say we live in one of the most beautiful countries that offer whatever um uh, of great nature uh, uh fresh air um employment like there's we're in this very great place even though we are surrounded by a, a crisis. Um, so what is it as a leader? 
And I think passion comes into that, the fact that you just really want to make a change. Uh, like you just said, uh, I had to do it. Um, and you need to have that as a leader as well. You need to, to dare and you need to think that you're part of changing something. But there, there, are many, um, there, there are many aspects to this. But I think as a conclusion, we don't, we don't need a crisis to drive innovation. But to make, a, like, to make a change fast, we might need it, especially for us as consumers to, to change behavior. Karianna, any uh, learnings from this episode? Does it... Has it spun off some ideas in your in your mind? Oh, I like I like the the thought on Nibi and um, the qualification of and the trust part. How so? How can we qualify that it's a good match and you can trust that the person who is introduced to you is somebody pre-qualified? So I would like to see more of that. Uh, do you do that in in the startup lab? Do you sort of pre-qualify what what clients get to? be a customer of <laughs> uh, no but we are Just of course trying, we are doing our best to be relevant when we are introducing uh, and i would also say that warm introductions is what it takes to uh, create new partnerships it's always faster and and people are more engaged and open up faster if they get a warm introduction so for those listening if you are asked by anybody to introduce them to a business opportunity or a new customer do so because it's super important and it will bring us as a community forward much faster um, and pick up the phone and I think we should all continue to do video meetings uh, some days a week at least even though we might be able to do physical meetings uh, video meetings is extremely efficient so you can set aside time to to meet people that you normally wouldn't meet and I think that's uh, very good, especially for uh, for startup companies who don't have access to to all those experts and can't book it full day. Leveling the playing field. Yeah, and then be brutally honest and and take feedback from people you don't know. I think that's also uh, a way of uh, pushing your own company forward faster. Christina, any um, any reflections from your side? Well, I just want to say in the end that the, you know we we believe that we have something really game changing with Nibi, but it's really leveraging industry insights i mean insights in the public sector already that we have leveraged and combined with tech that we already knew about so it's basically if you want to do innovation and you don't have the great idea just go into the different industries or where you want to work and look at the insights there combined with new tech or combined with just you know high ambitions you can do game-changing things so you know it's not like uh, there's no secrets in the industry that uh, or there there are still lots lots of potential there so uh i think it's more about the mindset and the and the personality more than than uh, that it's really hard to do innovation so it's often just in front of your nose isn't it yeah and thank you guys for revealing some of that to us in this episode and with that thank you so much thank you this has been Game Changing Leadership, a podcast brought to you by Oslo Business Forum. We hope you enjoyed it. Share the podcast if you found it valuable and be sure to listen to our next episode if you want to discover more about game changers and what we can learn from them.